the Internet's most listened to talk radio network, VoiceAmerica.com, with Joyce Bender and Disability Matters. Welcome to Disability Matters with your host, Joyce Bender. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. Now the host of Disability Matters, here's Joyce Bender. And welcome to the show, and here we are, first day of spring this week, although I guess throughout many parts of the United States you'd never know that with the snow we're getting, but here we go. Soon we're going to really be moving on with our March Madness fiesta that's going on this month. And I am really excited this month to have not only a great leader, but someone that I have admired for years, even before I got to know her, and that is Karen Wolf Feinstein, the president of the Jewish Healthcare Foundation of Pittsburgh, truly a great leader. I guess I would say when I think of Karen, I think of leadership and volunteerism all rolled together in one word with her name. Karen, welcome to the show. Well, thank you. I'm glad to be here, Joyce. Um, Karen, for our listeners who are listening to the show today, would you first tell us how you became involved with the Jewish Healthcare Foundation? And also, um, as I've mentioned before, and if you don't know, Karen, I'm going to tell you right now, this woman gives back to the community nonstop. Anytime it seems I'm involved in anything, no matter what it is, I can usually count on seeing Karen at that event. Uh, maybe you can also tell our listeners what made you decide to become such a great advocate and give back the way you have. Well, um, it's so nice of you to put it that way. I actually think the community's giving to me by letting me get involved. Uh, it's really uh, social change and social action are really my passion. It's easy to understand. I grew up in the 60s, and I was involved in the civil rights movement from long as I can remember, probably elementary, junior, and high school, and certainly at college, and uh, the war on poverty, model cities, the women's movement, uh, was a great time for someone who I think just had a, a natural bent, and there were great causes to get involved in. So it, it's a, a strong taste for uh, people working together to improve the quality of life and remove obstacles to other people. Uh, having a, a full and productive life. So that that was my passion, and it might be amusing, but loving that and being able to teach it at a university and work in the war on poverty and then work at the United Way, I didn't at first want to come to a foundation. I didn't know what a Jewish healthcare foundation was. We were the, the first uh, foundation that came from the sale of a Jewish hospital, and I said no for a while because health care in 1990 was frozen. I mean, it didn't look like anything dramatic would happen. But as you can imagine, a little after uh, 91 when I finally came here, uh, everything started to change because the both the cost and quality concerns were out in the open. And um, we started with managed care, and I think uh, there's been an evolution in health care ever since. Yes, that is so true. And, Karen, we have had many uh, questions emailed into us because, of course, we advertise a month ahead of time, as all my listeners know, who our guests would be. And one of the questions that came in actually relates to health care, but I think you will find this very interesting. And the question uh, is from New York. Uh, first of all, 
Uh, thank you, Ms. Feinstein, for what you're doing to help people. I'm curious to know, since you're with the uh, Jewish Healthcare Foundation, how you feel about genetic testing, because in so many ways you can look back at this and see the comparison to what horrifically happened many, many, many years ago, and, of course, I'm referring to the Holocaust. Well, like so many things that are happening now, uh, just take technology and the fact that we're all going to have access to our health records, our complete health record, before long, just sitting at our desk at our computer. Uh, but then again, there's room for, uh, you know, disaster because as easy as it is for us to have access, so will others. In that could very well be a lot of information about our genetic makeup. Um, you can't stop progress. Um, you can try and minimize the, the the danger, but the fact is now there are all kinds of things that, that one can predict from um, our genetic code. I don't think we can stop that, and I think for many people it will lead to early intervention, prevention, better uh, treatment, and it will move forward. So the question is, can you minimize the disruptions and problems that could come from it but but and anticipate them. I guess that's step number one. But but you can't turn back the clock. So in other words, we can't stop the genetic testing. And I'll, I'll tell you why I picked out that question. I just recently read the book War Against the Week by Edwin Black, who is, by the way, for all my listeners, going to be on our show. And he is also the person that wrote uh, about IBM and the Holocaust. And in War Against the Weak, it really is a really great book, but it's also disturbing because it talked about how in the uh, United States prior to World War II that eugenics really started here, and a lot of that information was given to Germany. And then, of course, we know the horrible, horrible tragedy that, well, you know, tragedy really of our entire lifetime for all mankind that occurred where eugenics was taken to such a level, but you know, I, I guess I really didn't understand that eugenics was the precursor to genetics. So, you know, Karen, how do you get the ethical part wrapped into this? Is my question. Well, I mean, society has to do its best to offer protections for those who want and need to be protected and perhaps do not want to be screened. But don't forget. Um, Given one's own personal beliefs, a lot of families have found out things about uh, unborn babies and, and babies that might even be conceived that have led them to take steps to either uh, reduce the likelihood that they would have a child with a disability or, um, you know, make arrangements so that some, some of these conditions are actually treated now in the womb. There's just a variety of of ways that, that what can be a great positive can also be a great negative. And, you know, it, it's society's business to, to emphasize the positives, um, respect individual preferences, and minimize the negatives. You know, I, I really don't think that right now, as far as I can see in, in countries like ours that are enlightened, that there's any intention to use this information, uh, you know, as, as I hate to even say the word eugenics, but... It's great that people raise the issue and we're on guard, and I know that I've been on uh, the uh, ethics committee of one of our large health systems, and these discussions are fascinating, and there often aren't any answers, but thank God people are constantly exploring them. 
Yes, and you know what? Andy Imperato, who is the president of the American Association of People with Disabilities, is really speaking out about this because, of course, there are people like me with epilepsy that someone could, you know, do this genetic testing and say we shouldn't give this person health care insurance or life insurance. Hard to believe that can happen, but it did happen in England. So, I mean, things like this do occur. But, see, I, I am not one to throw the baby out with the bathwater either, and I want to make very clear to everyone, you know, through genetics, you know, first of all, look what they've been able to do with uh, going way back here to even the FBI and, you know, save, you know, apprehending perpetrators or saving people's lives that were going to be condemned to death that, were, you know, were not the right person. But in addition to that, to be able to cure diseases, you know, that would be a one wonderful thing that would happen. I just think that no matter what we do, we have to always remember. We have to always remember and keep ethics at the center of everything that we're doing. But, you know, I, too, thought that was a really good question. Yes, well, Karen, I would agree with you, though. I think that basically this is a uh, – we're, we're lucky. We live in a country of people who are enlightened and, and fair and I think basically ethical. And the more these issues are discussed and aired – I think the more likely it is that as a society we're going to reach resolution, maybe not perfect, but some resolution as to how to get the best out of of progress. Yeah, and this is why I tell all of my listeners, and I, I even when I speak publicly, I tell people all the time, you know what is so important is to be educated, to be educated and to understand what's happening and to ask questions. That is what is so important, you know, and to not be that person with their head in the ground. I mean, you've got to speak up. You've, you've been, to speak up, you have to be educated and informed. And with that, Karen, I know that many of our listeners may not be familiar with the Jewish Healthcare Foundation. Would you mind telling them about JHF, as I know it's abbreviated, and your mission? Well, uh, we came from the transfer of ownership of the Jewish hospital in Pittsburgh, Montefiore, with a proud tradition to uh, Presbyterian. And in return, uh, Presbyterian made an endowment to the community of the, the value of the assets of Montefiore. So that's how the foundation began. And uh, strong interest, uh, obviously, and as they mentioned, you know, uh, Many people um, remembering the, the disasters of the Holocaust have an actual special interest in protecting those with mental and physical disabilities. And we started out with a strong interest with frail seniors. We have a very active aging agenda. Um, we were one of the first foundations to rally around the AIDS, which was just, as you know, we were early, very early in the epidemic when the foundation was formed. We did become the fiscal agent uh, for Western Pennsylvania for state AIDS funds. And one of our first grants started uh, Jewish Residential Services here, which we're very proud of, which has become a thriving organization caring for the mentally ill in both residential and non-residential settings. Um, other issues, uh, diabetes, wound healing, depression. Uh, we've put a lot of energy into those. And uh, also things related to accessibility, camping, helping people with disabilities live as independently as possible. Those have all been a strong bedrock of our grant agenda. Yes, and may I say, in one of the reasons I, two reasons I wanted to have you on the show is, number one, as I said, I have always looked up to you and just think you are really a great leader and a great person. But in addition to that, you know, there are 54 million Americans with disabilities. 
And even in Pennsylvania alone, 10% of the population are people with disabilities. And yet I'm not sure that a lot of people realize that the Jewish Healthcare Foundation does so much and has done so much to reach out and help people with disabilities. And I will tell you, Karen, in behalf of all those people, thank you. It's wonderful what you're doing. Well, I think that um, when you see how far we are in, in caring for some of these conditions from the ideal, um, you think more often of how much work there is to be done. <laughs> yes, and that is true. Well, you're a great person to be leading the way. And with that, listen, we're going to go to break real fast. And we'll be right back with a true civil rights leader, Karen Wolf Feinstein, the president of the Jewish Healthcare Foundation of Pittsburgh. We'll be right back. The Authority and Internet Talk Radio, VoiceAmerica.com. At Vendor Consulting Services Incorporated, our mission is to provide superior technology consulting services to our customers while creating career opportunities, independence, and freedom for people with disabilities. While the demand for skilled technology professionals is reaching an all-time high, over 13 million disabled Americans, many of them experts in technology, remain unemployed. Since 1995, Bender Consulting Services Incorporated has worked to solve these critical social and business issues by providing employers with reliable talent and giving individuals with disabilities the chance to display their talents and enhance their lives through solid careers. If you're a person with a disability seeking employment, send us your resume via email to resume at benderconsult.com. For more information about our services, visit www.benderconsult.com in the U.S., and www.benderofcanada.com in Canada. Bender Consulting Services Incorporated, providing and creating employment opportunities, freedom and independence for people with disabilities. www.benderconsult.com. I'm Garcelle Beauvais Nylon. When I played a DA on NYPD Blue, I got all the facts before trying a case. Yet many don't know the facts about epilepsy. There are two and a half million Americans with the condition and one in ten Americans will have a seizure in their lifetime. People with epilepsy want to lead normal lives, but too many of us don't know what epilepsy is or what to do if someone has a seizure. To learn more, visit epilepsyfoundation.org or call 1-800-332-1000. If you hear a dog barking or an angel singing, then you know that you're listening to Waking Up in America. Heard every Wednesday at 12 p.m. Pacific Time, Valerie Kirkgaard and all of her friends will bring you powerful and humorous discussions that raise thoughts and give you insight on how to live your life to its fullest potential. Adventure is always a must on Waking Up in America with Valerie Kirkgaard every Wednesday at 12 p.m. Pacific Time. Invoke thought, feeling, and inspiration into your life right here on voiceamerica.com. This week on Slice of Sci-Fi with Michael and Evo, Lake Bell from Surface joins us to tell us about the show, and TD-0013, our resident stormtrooper, joins us in studio to help us talk about the sci-fi that's happened this week. That's this week on Slice of Sci-Fi with Michael and Evo. Bringing you around the world, right from your desktop. VoiceAmerica.com 
If you have a question or comment, call in toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now please welcome back the host of Disability Matters, here's Joy Spender. And welcome back to the show. We are talking to someone I think very highly of, Karen Wolf-Feinstein, who is the president of the Jewish Healthcare Foundation of Pittsburgh, but really someone I know that has dedicated her life to giving back to the community. And I wanted also all of our listeners to know what the Jewish Healthcare Foundation does for people with disabilities. For example, I know, Karen, that uh, JHF helps people with mental and physical disabilities in the areas of support and education. I wonder if you could take a few minutes and tell our listeners a little bit more about that. Well, um, you know, our, our support can take many different forms. Uh, sometimes it's just helping an organization that doesn't exist, you know, get off the ground. Um, that happened with AIDS. That happened with residential services for the mentally ill. And some of our services for feral seniors, such as our local interfaith volunteer caregivers. So we sort of uh, either give seed money or sometimes even start the program here and then spin it off. In areas such as wound healing, it really was a massive public campaign when we realized how many people lost limbs because wounds on their feet or arms weren't treated properly and that many people who were caregivers in nursing homes and at home actually didn't know what not to put on an adult person's wound. And so we did a massive campaign here and did everything we could think of, bookmarks and, you know, uh, all kinds of handouts to, to get people to realize how to properly care for wounds. Um, with depression and diabetes, we do a lot of much more detailed work. We assemble the physicians and the uh, mental health professionals, and we give them customized data about their performance, compared comparative performance to one another. And it's not to go to the media. These reports are kept confidential. But they're able to see on a number of indicators whether they are providing good care or, or not, certainly relative to others. And we found that, that many physicians really do want to be leaders in quality care, and so they learn from each other, uh, particularly those who are getting excellent results, what they're doing that, that makes a difference. So those are just, you know, some of the different ways we, we go about dealing with uh, a disability agenda. And you know what? <clears throat> that is so important what you were talking about when you spoke earlier about those open wounds because for people with disabilities, um, and this has been happened and has happened to several of my employees throughout the United States, if you have paraplegia or quadriplegia, you may not be aware of the fact that, you know, the per that you have a um, open wound or sore that is a result of sitting in that one position or being in a reclining position for so long. And you're right. There have been many people that ended up, uh, for example, with their foot having an amputation because that can be deadly. That is terrible. So I'm really glad you're doing that because although people don't like to talk about these things, you know, these things are important because it can end up in an amputation or even death if not taken care of appropriately. So that, that, that's wonderful that you were doing that. And in the area of people with mental disabilities, you work a lot in that area also, Karen? Oh, yes. Um, everything, as I said, from, from housing to community-based services 
Uh, one thing that is really troubling us right now is the inexcusably high rate of people who are hospitalized for depression and then re-hospitalized within 30 days. Uh, inexcusable because clearly these people are discharged without any guaranteed connection to a case manager or someone to oversee the fact that they will start their medications, be supervised on their medications, and just have a support as they uh, leave the hospital and move into independent recovery. So we have a number of initiatives uh, that are starting to get community-based providers to connect with hospitals, particularly at the time of discharge, so that we don't lose people. And it's very amazing. Um, some hospitals wind up with maybe a 7 7.5% return rate. Others wind up with a 75% return rate. Uh, so it's not real mysterious that, that, that the 75% return rate institutions could learn a lot about good discharge and, and good transitioning from those who have a very low return rate. Wow, that is amazing. Um, and, you know, I just want to say to listeners throughout the world, in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, as Karen will tell you, we have some of the best health care really in the world. I mean, it is phenomenal, the health care. And, Karen, one of the uh, guests on a prior show asked me, and I don't know if you know the answer to this, but how did that happen? I mean, we are... So premier in the area of health care. How, how did this occur? Well, you know, there, there are, of course, a number of reasons success begets success as you attract talented people. They bring more talented people. But I have to give a lot of credit to um, one man, uh, Dr. Thomas Detry, who moved to Pittsburgh, oh, I'd say maybe 30 years ago, to head up uh, what was then Western Psychiatric Institute and wound up becoming the executive of, of a complex of hospitals, uh, nursing homes, and a psychiatric hospital that eventually turned into UPMC, University of Pittsburgh Medical Center. He spent a lot of his time beating the bushes, finding quality leaders in whatever field it was and bringing them to Pittsburgh and just assembling this extraordinary bank of talent in psychiatry and in all areas of medicine and, as everybody knows, particularly in transplant where we really became the international leader in transplantation surgeries. So I think that, you know, one person can make a big difference in a community and, of course, other hospitals benefited. A lot of talented people came. Some stayed at UPMC. Some moved to different institutions. Some came to Pittsburgh now with this reputation for assembling talent and wound up in other places seeding more interesting work and, and frontier medicine. So we have been very lucky, and we, I think, as a community, appreciate, take pride in, and support our extraordinary uh, broad-based medical systems. Well, thank goodness that he came here. Oh, yes. We, <laughs> we say that it's really quite a story. It's quite a story, and we were not an esteemed uh, medical center or uh, teaching. Um, our, our medical school was not uh, known throughout the world, the same with perhaps our nursing schools. I mean, I think he really did a lot. His, his passion is for the education of health professionals and has course, greatly enhance the desirability of our professional schools. They are among some of the best in the country. 
And that is for sure. Um, Karen, we have another question that had been emailed to us from a group of young people across the United States with disabilities who work to coordinate questions for Disability Matters with Joyce Bender and for Voice America. And the question is, uh, Ms. Feinstein, first of all, thank you for being on the show. My question is, what would advice would you give to youth with disabilities who are advocating for and overseeing their own health care needs for the first time? Well, of course, there's the Internet and the Internet, and, and then there's the Internet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, what the the unbelievable sort of revolution in consumer knowledge and consumer advocacy is vastly, vastly informed by the Internet. I'm amazed. Uh, my son had was discovered to have a very unusual eye condition, and, you know, in minutes I had, I didn't even have to talk to the doctor, in minutes I was the best informed person, you know, my printer was reeling off pages and pages so that the family understood exactly what we were dealing with and, you know, the appropriate treatments, and to be honest, I didn't even have to talk to his doctor, who ironically had the same condition, which was just one of those fluky things. But, you know, it's a new world now. I mean, instead of a 15-minute conversation with a physician, I can become an encyclopedia. Uh, and that's true of, of anyone. And so our ability, and it's enormously important to understand our condition, to know um, sometimes more about it than our physician because we're motivated to read everything we can find and read all the latest literature you know, our physician might have gone to school 30 years ago, and they may be keeping up on the literature in some areas, but not on our particular condition. So uh, there's a new, I think, leveling of the relationship uh, where it's not supplicant begging for information, but it's two people sharing what they know and uh, trying to develop the best treatment plan. You know what? I think that is <clears throat> absolutely so important. And, of course, just as, you know, Karen's pointing out, I'm not, nor is she advocating that, you know, you try to diagnose what is wrong with you. You always need to go to the doctor. But let me say this. I am a result of a misdiagnosis when I went to the doctor. And, you know, the rest is history. I ended up having an accident because I didn't know I had epilepsy at the time. But now when you go on the Internet, I mean, you can find out so much that at least when you go in, You'll have so much information, and there will be those times. You know, for example, a disability like epilepsy, there's so many types of seizures, so many types that, you know, not every, when you first go to a family doctor, I really don't know that he or she would know everything about that, but if you can take time to be informed, it will help so much. It's all about education, and especially for people with disabilities who for the first time are having to really oversee what's going on. I, I don't think you should just walk in and sit down and, you know, not know what's going on. You need to take time to do research. Well, and sometimes, too, um, a, a young doctor was treating my daughter who had asthma. She was a, a 13-year-old, and um, she developed uh, a condition. It's, it's called uh, devil's grip. And he said with her asthma, she would probably have a very serious asthma attack. There's a possibility within two weeks and that we should be prepared for it, that that can be a byproduct of this devil's grip. 
And sure enough, she did, and she wound up in the hospital, but we weren't alarmed. We knew what set it off. We knew what the duration would be, how to treat it. And, you know, this is just a doctor not being proud, going to the Internet and getting all the information he could. And, you know, none of us should be proud. We, well, we're never going to be a font of all knowledge. How true. All right, and we're going to be back to talk more to Karen Wolf-Feinstein, the president of the Jewish Healthcare Foundation of Pittsburgh, a real leader in this community. You're listening to America's Voice, Joyce Bender on voiceamerica.com. We'll be right back. The powerhouse of Internet Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com. At Vendor Consulting Services Incorporated, our mission is to provide superior technology consulting services to our customers while creating career opportunities, independence, and freedom for people with disabilities. While the demand for skilled technology professionals is reaching an all-time high, over 13 million disabled Americans, many of them experts in technology, remain unemployed. Since 1995, Bender Consulting Services Incorporated has worked to solve these critical social and business issues by providing employers with reliable talent and giving individuals with disabilities the chance to display their talents and enhance their lives through solid careers. If you're a person with a disability seeking employment, send us your resume via email to resume at BenderConsult.com. For more information about our services, visit www.BenderConsult.com in the U.S., and www.benderofcanada.com in Canada. Bender Consulting Services Incorporated, providing and creating employment opportunities, freedom and independence for people with disabilities. www.benderconsult.com. I'm Garcelle Beauvais-Nylon. When I played a DA on NYPD Blue, I got all the facts before trying a case. Yet many don't know the facts about epilepsy. There are two and a half million Americans with the condition and one in ten Americans will have a seizure in their lifetime. People with epilepsy want to lead normal lives, but too many of us don't know what epilepsy is or what to do if someone has a seizure. To learn more, visit epilepsyfoundation.org or call 1-800-332-1000. Ever wonder what's in your future? Why you are the way you are? Or what your dreams really mean? Then tune in and call in to The Jackie Marie Show with professional psychic Jackie Marie. With over a reported 90% accuracy in her psychic predictions, Jackie Marie answers your questions on psychic phenomenon, dream interpretation, numerology, astrology, hypnosis, recognizing your own psychic gifts, and so much more. Along with her co-host, Alan Richard, Jackie also provides her psychic insight on celebrities, politicians, new items, and a mystery of the week. That's The Jackie Marie Show, broadcast every Wednesday at 5 p.m. Pacific Time, 8 Eastern, on voiceamerica.com. In the spirit of Have Couch, Will Travel, Dr. Carol Lieberman creates a haven of sanity in an increasingly insane world. Each day we are bombarded with news of events that have never crossed our wildest nightmares. Society is spiraling out of control and everyone is reeling from it. But now there's an answer. The best way to keep sane in this insane world is to tune in to Dr. Carol's Couch on Voice America. Dr. Carol, a certified media psychiatrist, will broadcast live from her Beverly Hills office every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time. Call or log in and get help with whatever is sending you reeling whenever you need a soothing voice to calm and advise you. That's Dr. Carol's Couch every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time here on America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. The powerhouse of Internet Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com. 
If you have a question or comment, call in toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now please welcome back the host of Disability Matters, here's Joy Spender. And welcome back, and we are talking to the president of the Jewish Healthcare Foundation of Pittsburgh, and truly a great civil rights leader, Karen Wolk-Feinstein. And Karen, as you know, my life is one word, employment, and it's all about employment for people with disabilities. Um, and just a few months ago, in October, former United States Attorney General Dick Thornburg spoke in New York at the New York Law School about the employment of Americans with disabilities and made the statement that, you know, I have very sobering news because the employment of Americans with significant disabilities has actually gone backwards since the year 2001. And here we have 35% of Americans with significant disabilities who want to work. Only 35% are actually working of that whole percentage group. And I just wanted to ask you, you know, what are your opinions? You know, do you think there's, what, what can we do right in Pittsburgh and, and other parts of the United States to combat this? Why do you think it's like this? Well, I think, I think you don't necessarily combat it wholesale but retail. Um, you know, each person has a different disability that makes them ideal for, for some jobs, the way actually everybody with or without a named disability does. You're, you're going to be more ideal or less ideal. It may be harder for the employer to imagine unless somebody suggests um, how uh, someone with a certain disability would actually manage a certain job well. So that kind of matching where the logistics are, are doable, which is a challenge sometimes, and where the job is right uh, and where a person is fit into a place where they will not only succeed but excel, um, it does take some time. And... I think that the more we could do to build that person-by-person matching service, uh, we would would reap a lot of benefit. You know, there are just so many different disabilities you're dealing with and so many different job requirements. So it's getting that right person in the right place. And yet, unfortunately, there are people with master's degrees who are highly educated, but because they are blind or deaf or in a wheelchair, you know, the the reason the, sh- the music on this show is New Attitude is because to me and, and many other civil rights leaders, that is the barrier. It's an attitudinal barrier. And are you meaning you think if we just work with different companies one at a time that we could overcome that? Well, I definitely think so. I think a lot of people, um, I'm sort of an optimist, but I think a lot of people would like to hire people with disabilities, if anything, they may lack imagination or even a knowledge about how to connect. Um, there are many jobs here, for instance, that someone who isn't um, mobile could perform quite well. Um, and so if if somebody, you know, could, could help send our way a person with the right skills and a will to do it and someone who logistically could, say, get to our offices every day, um, I think most people would, would actually like to hire the disabled. It's just, you know, you'll be amazed, but with all of the jobs we've advertised over the years, I don't think we've had a single disabled person who came forward uh, and proposed working here. So sometimes we just need help, you know, making that marriage. 
Yeah, there's one problem here with all this, and that is that I'm speaking to you, and you're probably, like, not only are you an optimist, you are all about civil rights. So I doubt that it could come across your mind as to why you wouldn't hire people with disabilities. But the AAPD, when they did their recent Gallup poll, and um, their recent survey, I'm sorry, through the Harris survey, it was very clear that over 500 leaders, when they were asked, you know, why aren't you hiring people with disabilities, 35% said because in their mind they feel the person would be inferior. Well, you know, there are all kinds of disabilities. We hired a woman who was a senior. She ran a hotel and has an engineering degree in Russia. But she is just not likely to master the English language the way somebody who, you know, went through grade school diagramming sentences. And But we were able to, because she's so talented and has so much energy, for excelling at what she does, we were able to fashion the perfect job for her where, you know, she does a lot of bookkeeping, which means she doesn't have to write formal letters, and she became our office manager. Um, You know, she's very bossy. She's used to being in charge, and she just flawlessly makes sure that everybody gets the support they need to get the job done, even though if, if she had to sit down at a typewriter and type a business letter, that wouldn't work. So, you know, people come with all kinds of disabilities. Some are physical, some are mental, some are, are linguistic. And if you put the right person in the right job, um, they're happy and you're happy. Well, what we need are more people who think like you. And, and then hopefully we'll get somewhere in this country. I mean, now I am in 13 states and two provinces of Canada. But for a very long time, I was much larger in other states than in my own state. And, you know, the the... One issue you brought up, I do believe, I believe that part of the education is making the person aware of how you recruit or find people with disabilities. I do believe that's part of it. And then I think the other part of it is just that, you know, how it's always been. People like to hire people that are like them. And, you know, if you have a visible disability, you're not like them. In my case, my disability is not visible, but yet, just as I'm sure you know, dealing with people that not only have epilepsy but other disabilities, you know, it's still hard for some of them to gain employment. And that's why I think it's so important that we have people like you and your foundation who are, who are trying, you know, to make a difference. And, and for those listening to the show, if you don't know about Karen Wolf Feinstein, I just want to mention that she was also the founding co-chair of the Pittsburgh Regional Health Care Initiative, and I know you did that with, the former CEO of Alcoa, Paul O'Neill, and, of course, former Treasury Secretary. I wonder if you'd take a minute to tell our listeners more about that initiative. Well, certainly it's one of the more exciting things I've worked on, and it set a very modest goal of transforming health care so that it was clear that the patient was the customer, that what happens at the point of care is what determines value in health care, the cost and quality derived from whether the frontline workers who actually are caring for patients deliver best practice care without waste or error. And beginning with that little kernel of thinking, which shouldn't seem revolutionary, we looked at healthcare delivery systems and saw that, you know, across the board, um, almost without exception, everybody had the wrong paradigm. And, you know, the customer could be anything from the person on the end of the managed care hotline to the physician, uh, to the hospital's own needs of scheduling, and the patient had to be fit in. 
And when we said, hey, turn this on its head, this is all about the patient, and you all have to adapt patient by patient to the best care, uh, that, that was, can you believe it? That was revolutionary. Wow. That is amazing. And, and I am so excited that, that, you know, that we had this in it. I bet it was exciting for you to work with Paul and Neil, Karen. Well, he's, he really has um, a kind of genius for seeing what's broken in systems. Um, he's heavily grounded in, in ethical thought, and he also is never, as the world knows, afraid to speak his mind. So when someone this credible and, and someone with so much insight stands up and says, there's a better way of doing things, and it's win-win all around, and that is... Uh, to get rid of the errors and bad practices in healthcare, uh, streamline your operations, and have us pay for work that's meaningful, not work that not only sometimes adds no value but does harm, uh, nobody could ignore it. And it was the beginning of what I'd like to suggest is a revolution in how we view our healthcare system. Well, you know what? I couldn't believe, Karen, that just last week, here we are, I'm going to have you on the show and just last week, I go to the breakfast in Pittsburgh from the Technology Council and hear the Secretary of Health Human Services speak. And what is one of the number one things he talked about? He talked about how, you know, if, if in America we would have day after day after day auto, uh, airplanes crash and hundreds of people killed, oh, my goodness, we would be outraged, airports would be closed, and yet thousands of people die every day from hospital staff infections and yet, we're not having that same, you know, outrage. It's, it's a mystery. I... It's a mystery. I have no idea. And that everywhere I go, I hear about the people who've lost a relative or themselves been seriously disabled. Uh, I know I've gone to funerals where the person certainly didn't die from their surgery. They died from the infection that they acquired uh, during the surgery or right after. And yet, Americans are surprisingly, for some reason, complacent or passive. And I think they do want to believe that everything that happens in healthcare is good and, and worthy. Don't want that illusion shattered. Yeah, and I mean, according to him, and I know I've read about this before, thousands of people die. Isn't this one of the number one causes of death in the hospital? You're talking about at least 100,000 people dying of medical error. Many of them, many of these errors involve infection, but, you know, also medication errors and wrong limb surgeries and, of course, we all know the, giving people the wrong blood in their transfusion. You know, we've, we heard putting um, cleaning solution in uh, the intravenous bags by mistake. I mean, we've, we've heard all the horrible ones, but when humans work together, they can get fairly close to perfection. We know that from the airline industry. We know that from nuclear power. And Alcoa discovered it by having worldwide almost no lost workdays because of accidents. You can reach extraordinary levels of safety and efficiency uh, and flawless performance, but it is everyday work, and you have to have a will. I mean, I hope every one of you listening to the show, though, realize this is serious, and I want to also commend you, Karen, because... I know that you did a lot through PRHI in this effort to get hospitals to work together and, you know, work on reducing this terrible tragedy that we can work on together. If you want more information on that, just send me an email 
and I'll get back to you and send you information even from the Secretary of Health Human Services who just spoke here in Pittsburgh, Mike Levitt. But right now we're going to break, and then we'll be back to close our show with a wonderful person and someone who is making a difference, Karen Wolf Feinstein, the president of the Jewish Healthcare Foundation of Pittsburgh. You're listening to America's Voice with Joyce Bender on voiceamerica.com. We'll be right back. Bringing you around the world right from your desktop. VoiceAmerica.com At Vendor Consulting Services Incorporated, our mission is to provide superior technology consulting services to our customers while creating career opportunities, independence, and freedom for people with disabilities. While the demand for skilled technology professionals is reaching an all-time high, over 13 million disabled Americans, many of them experts in technology, remain unemployed. Since 1995, Bender Consulting Services Incorporated has worked to solve these critical social and business issues by providing employers with reliable talent and giving individuals with disabilities the chance to display their talents and enhance their lives through solid careers. If you're a person with a disability seeking employment, send us your resume via email to resume at BenderConsult.com. For more information about our services, visit www.BenderConsult.com in the U.S., and www.benderofcanada.com in Canada. Bender Consulting Services Incorporated, providing and creating employment opportunities, freedom and independence for people with disabilities. www.benderconsult.com. I'm Garcelle Beauvais-Nylon. When I played a DA on NYPD Blue, I got all the facts before trying a case. Yet many don't know the facts about epilepsy. There are two and a half million Americans with the condition and one in ten Americans will have a seizure in their lifetime. People with epilepsy want to lead normal lives, but too many of us don't know what epilepsy is or what to do if someone has a seizure. To learn more, visit epilepsyfoundation.org or call 1-800-332-1000. Hello, this is Rory Garay, President of Greyhound Pets of America and host of Greyhounds Made Great Pets on Voice America. Join me every Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific and 2 p.m. Eastern for an insightful and enjoyable talk about one of man's best friends, the Greyhound. Learn about the history of the Greyhound, discuss proper obedience and training techniques, and find out more about the Greyhound racing industry and what they are doing to help the adoption effort of the former race dogs. If you own a Greyhound or just love dogs like I do, join me for Greyhounds Make Great Pets every Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific right here on America's Voice. VoiceAmerica.com. Bringing you around the world right from your desktop. VoiceAmerica.com. If you have a question or comment, call in toll free at 1 866 472 5788. Now, please welcome back the host of Disability Matters. Here's Joy Spender. Welcome back, and I just wanted to say a special greeting to all of my friends in the Newcastle area that have been such unbelievable listeners, so I just wanted to send them a special greeting. And Karen Wolk-Feinstein, I appreciate so much having her, not only as a guest on this show, but in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, which is my hometown, because she is making such a difference. And Karen... um, as the president of the Jewish Healthcare Foundation, what do you hope to leave as your legacy here? Well, 
uh, I think the most important thing for me is that communities realize that they can work together uh, and, and have a will to work together to fix things that are broken and that once we've identified uh, systems that aren't working, that aren't meeting our needs and people who are experiencing an unnecessarily poor quality of life, that the people join together and, and do creative and new things. I mean, don't, don't accept uh, conditions as they are and just work around problems. So I think that's my most important. Of course, I like focused on health issues. Uh, I think that's central to most people's lives. I, I do believe that if, if you're healthy or you feel good every day, you get out of bed looking forward to the day, and you're able to be productive uh, and, and energetic, that, you know, everybody is put on earth and, and would like to be in that position and that it's the responsibility of a community to make it as, as possible as possible. And, Karen, I uh, wanted to fit in one other uh, email question that came in because this one was right from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And the question is, Karen, uh, I look up to you so much. My question for you is, uh, can you comment for a moment for our young people listening to the show today how important you believe volunteerism is? Oh, well, you know, what would we do in this country that, I guess Tocqueville, beginning with the Tocqueville, that's how he defined uh, the, the greatness and future greatness of America by our, our will to be volunteers. Um, I do think that there is no happy life when it's all about you. Um, it, it, if, if you don't have a life that involves giving to others and giving, you know, selflessly and, and sometimes without salary, um, you really, you're missing out. It's not just the community's missing out. You're missing out because when you do something that's selfless and when you do something to help someone else, I honestly believe that it, it produces some wonderful endorphins <laughs> in your body uh, that gives you a, a healthier, both mentally and physical life. So, you know, I, I think that it's volunteerism is an exchange, that communities set up opportunities where people can volunteer in an area that excites them and people reach out and volunteer, not just because they're helping others, but to help themselves. And, of course, I agree 100% because I believe that volunteerism really is the fabric of building character in anyone. I, I really do believe that. And, Karen, a question that I have is many of the guests on our show, and I don't mean just from Pittsburgh now, I mean across the United States, um, and, and this goes along with the question that our listener just asked you, Many people ask me, how do you feel about the future leadership in this country? Do you believe that young people have the same fire that people in previous generations have had, whether that be, you know, right after World War II or, as you mentioned, growing up in the 60s? Do you feel that we are fostering leadership skills in our young people today? Well... I'd say in some ways we're falling short. Um, and clearly I see good things happening all around. Um, do I miss the 60s and do I think that um, from our schools to our uh, various existing associations we may be doing uh, less? Um, it's hard to say. We, our lives have been so transformed. I mean, those of us who grew up in the 60s, you know, we got three 
television stations, and half the time what was on them was something I didn't want to watch because we had no computers, no cell phones. So we spent a lot of time directly interacting. Um, children played outside in groups. I go through the same neighborhood where I grew up and my parents grew up, and I can't believe it. It's like a ghost town. Uh, so there was a more communal spirit. I think there just was. We were less off with our gadgets um, in a voyeuristic way, watching other people live. Uh, so I think that I think some of what was wonderful about America, our gift for association and for problem solving as, as a group, you know, has has been distanced somewhat by by the progress we've made in technology and changes in in lifestyle and habits. On the other hand, we can all point to a lot of extraordinary things. I mean, I look at Rotary clubs around the world working to eradicate polio. Um, it's just a phenomenal effort. And I think of how many people um, do get engaged in speaking out one way or another about something that matters to them, how many young people in college. I certainly don't always agree with uh, the direction it takes, but they do challenge and, and question and make known uh, views on things they think we're doing nationally and, and uh, internationally that, that could be done better. So, I mean, I, I still think that spirit's there, but I guess, you know, I'm just an old fogey now that thinks that there's less of it uh, we are a little distance from one another, given how we tend to spend time. Yeah, and you know, Karen, it, when you said that, I and I agree, we have wonderful young people in this world that are doing so much. But you know that that is worrisome. The change of association that you talked about. As a matter of fact, one of the articles that I'm working on is going to be. Do you remember this thing called the telephone? Because you know, in business. I get millions of emails, and emails are great. There's no doubt about it. You know, it helps so much, and we can talk to anyone throughout the world. But it is amazing to me who people that are maybe just, you know, like if you just down the hall, no matter where it is, have forgotten how to pick up the telephone. And I, I think when, you know, when I was little and we weren't amused all the time by our parents, <laughs> my parents, we had four children, they didn't play with us. Um, we played with other kids in the neighborhood who were proximate, so that meant a variety of ages and, you know, not any great selectivity. And we had to amuse ourselves. There was a lot of time left. And so we did, I think, creative and imaginative things. You know, we built whole communities out of shoeboxes. And if someone had a refrigerator delivered, that box turned into um, a hiding place. And, you know, we we did a lot of things we we played in the local parks. I mean, no one thought that was a bad idea when exploring, but there was a more, there was much more time to invent and to to dream up uh, activities, and things were less structured. So I do think it, it nurtured a kind of creativity and independent thinking. Yeah, well, Karen, you are one that you you are so well known. You have achieved so much. You've received so many awards, including an honorary doctorate of public service. Um, I, I really would have to say that I just feel you are a woman that has been a key leader in Pennsylvania and across the United States because of so much you've done. Uh, so I have to ask you, out of all these millions of things, what, what would you consider your greatest accomplishment? 
Well, I guess I'm not allowed to say my children and grandchildren and the wonderful people they married, so. <laughs> you are allowed to say that. Uh, well, of course, that comes first, um, you know, and I won't take time to tell you about my grandchildren. But uh, I think, as I said, that there's just so many things that that I love. Um, the Pittsburgh Regional Health Care Initiative, because how can you champion access to care if the care isn't good? So, you know, all roads lead to the fact that when somebody a person with a disability, a person without an identified disability, when they connect to the health care provider, you know, the ultimate helping person in their life, and, and get harmed rather than helped, um, you know, that, that's really tragic. So, of course, I love that. I love the work we do in workforce issues. The frontline workers in health care are just heroes, um, sadly often underpaid, and, and their talents aren't always used appropriately. So that kind of work excites me, and I guess I'd have to say work for seniors and uh, frail seniors. Uh, so, you know, it's hard to have a, a favorite child. It just is, and they're all worthy. Oh, well, Karen, and you're very worthy with everything you've done. And with that, like with all of my guests, what message would you like to leave with our listeners today, Karen? Ah, uh, Be hopeful. Revolutions are born of hope and not despair. Uh, think of a more ideal world and keep talking about it. Talk about it wherever you go and whomever will listen, and it probably will happen. Well, that's so amazing. That's your message because at the end of every show, I end with a quote from a famous civil rights leader, and today it is Yoshiko Dart. And her quote is, Beloved colleagues, we have the power. Let us use it. We must keep our promises and fulfill our responsibilities to make the dream live for all. Let us lead on together no matter what. Karen, thank you for joining us today. Okay, thank you, Joyce. We enjoyed having you. And to all of my listeners, thank you for helping us keep the message, as Yoshiko said, out there about quality of life for people with disabilities. This is Joyce Bender, America's Voice on voiceamerica.com. See you next week. Voice America would like to thank you for tuning in. Please join us next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time for another installment of Disability Matters right here on the Internet Leader and Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com. 